The holidays are upon us, Sherry. Can you believe it? It's hard to believe. It's here again, another year. Another year. What's your favorite holiday movie? Wow. I don't know. First of all, do you have a favorite Thanksgiving movie? We're going to say holiday movie, but I only know of one Thanksgiving Charlie movie. Brown Thanksgiving? Oh, okay, I know of two. What's the Thanksgiving. other one? Oh, I don't even remember what it's called. It has... Uh, Robert Downey Jr., really young Robert Downey Jr., and can't think of the female lead. This is thrilling for our listeners. Yeah. A movie, I, I think it might be called Home for the Holidays. Does it have Holly Hunt in it? Yes. Yes. I think yes. there's a lot of drinking in that family. It's yes, it's a dysfunctional, a dysfunctional family. Holly Hunter's like a grown adult, and they're all grown adult children that have come home. And, yeah. And I actually kind of like that movie. Yeah, is I was thinking home for the holidays. I wondered if that was a Thanksgiving one. I was, I was but, thinking about it. But you know, now that we've exhausted the list of all the Thanksgiving movies, <laughs> which, sure. what's your favorite? Everybody, movie? if you have a favorite Thanksgiving movie, let us know. Yeah, please do. But what's your favorite Christmas movie? Um, you know, I love um, Christmas Vacation, Christmas Story. It's hard to beat. Christmas Story, I can watch it over and over, just like TBS intended, just watching it as a marathon from like yeah, don't they play Christmas Eve day hours? to, yeah. yeah. That is, that has so many good lines in it. It's pretty great. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that one, but that's not at the top of my list, but boy, Christmas Vacation, yeah. pretty hard to beat. But then, you know, I'm a sucker for the classics. Mm-hmm. I've, I've watched mm-hmm. every version of mm-hmm. A Christmas Carol. Yeah. But the... <laughs> oh, I can't think of that guy's name either. That's my favorite. It's not important. They're all great. Patrick Stewart. No one older than that one. Oh, the guy with three names. Yeah, I can't think. I of was going to say it was George something, but now George C. Scott. Yes, so. that's it. Yeah, love his version. Yeah, that's a good and I one. love White Christmas. I was going to say White Christmas. And it's a Wonderful Life. Oh yes, love those. You have love you those noticed? so much. I bought them on VHS. Yes, you have. So we can watch me. them in our bedroom. Yeah. Because I never want to watch them as a family movie. Why not? Because I don't like them. Oh. I, I appreciate White Christmas now because quite a few years ago now, my mom came out for Thanksgiving. And after Thanksgiving, the Performing Arts Center put on a stage production of White Christmas and I took my mom. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's a nice memory. It was good. So I started to appreciate it. You know, all those classic movies, they've got one thing in common. They've got this idyllic, you know, Norman Rockwell painting kind of characteristic to them. You know, the the beginning in the middle might have some family dysfunction or some unfortunateness, but they all bring it around at the end. It's a wonderful life. I mean, think yeah. about the end of that movie. Right. Every time a bell dings, an angel gets his wing. I mean, that's what Christmas and is. And everybody in the town chips in to bail out George Bailey. Absolutely. And I they mean, get Christmas. snow. Yeah, they're in a ski lodge in Vermont that hasn't seen snow since, you know, 1867. And <laughs> finally, after all these decades and years, the snow comes on Christmas Eve. I think it's just one year that they're having issues with. But you're right. You're right. 
Everybody, and it all comes around and all pulls together. I think the reason I like those classic Christmas movies so much is because they remind me so much of reality. I mean, that's really what Christmas is like and the holiday season is like, especially when there's alcoholism in the family. I mean, it is just picture perfect. <laughs> I was like, where are you going with this? Because I'm not, I'm not thinking that. You know, as much as I love the holidays, and I really do, I'm I'm a big holiday fan. We still we write the last remaining Christmas letter left on the planet. You write the last remaining. I love to write the Christmas letter. Everyone else just sends pictures now, and that's fine. You know, do your thing. But I like to send a nice letter, and I love Christmas music, and I love you know Thanksgiving is that's probably my favorite of all the holidays. Like the whole thing, I do love it. But this idea that it's going to be somehow perfect mm. or, you know, it's a wonderful life ending, it it's just unrealistic. And especially, especially in a house where alcoholism is present, there's just so much more stress and pressure, not, not just like the stress and pressure of buying presents and you got 4,000 parties to go to and... You got to get the Christmas cards out. Not that. I'm just, there's so much stress and pressure to make it as perfect as the Norman Rockwell painting. Mm -hmm. When that's just not reality in the first place, alcohol or no alcohol. And that pressure to make it perfect, like, adds up to the point where not only can't it be perfect, it can't even be decent. Like, I know of so many stories, myself certainly included, but so many stories of other people, other big drinkers, where they just completely trashed Christmas Eve mm-hmm. or or Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah. To I'm the point where it's like a, a joke. Like there's all these... Saturday Night Live does a skit every single year about the sitting around the family Thanksgiving table and by the end, half the people are drunk and everyone's trying to stab each other with butter knives and yeah. like the family just completely unravels. Well, and the the expectation, the expectation of maybe the drinker um, thinking, okay, I'm not going to get out of hand, but, you know, the mixed cocktails at your holiday party that you're at just seem too good, and the expectation of the non-drinker, you know, like they want help, and, you know, and it's just not as important, you know, as important, and or coming home at a decent time from that Christmas party, because you have all the things doing, you know, you're doing, and... And then, like, oh, you come home late and you don't feel good, and the drinker is like not motivated to go and do what you were supposed to do the next day, like you know, Christmas shopping or, you know, I've got to take my back medicine. <laughs> Clark can drive on his own. <laughs> I've got to get something to eat. I've got to get something to eat so I can take my back medicine. Yeah. Oh, if you don't love Christmas vacation, something well, wrong with you. We're gonna have to like really jam in a lot. I'm I'm kind of excited about our first like kind of COVID Christmas because at the beginning of our um, the shelter in place here in our family, we kind of watched a lot of movies. Okay, like and so I'm very excited because every year we have been with the business that we owned before. You know. Like, bakery was busy, and we just didn't have enough time, and so we didn't get a lot of our favorite Christmas movies in. Well, so I, I hope that we treat Christmas differently this year, and the, all the holiday stuff differently this year, and that's one of the things I want to talk about. But before we shift gears into what we're going to do this year and take a more positive turn, I want to just tell a quick story about 
one of the worst Christmases that there were was for me. And I don't think, I, I want to hear your feedback. I don't think you're going to remember this as being as bad as I'm going to remember this. The ghost of Christmas past. Is <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, this was one of the Christmases when we owned the bakery. And so without getting into great detail about the bakery business, it's just really really busy leading up to the holidays. So Christmas Eve is a big day, one of the probably five busiest days of the year for us. And I was there, super busy. You were home in the afternoon with the family, getting ready for Christmas Christmas Eve candlelight service, and my parents were in town. And I know that the process to close the bakery down and get ready to be closed for a few days for Christmas was such that I was alone at the bakery after the employees went home for a couple hours. And you guys went to church without me. I just couldn't get done in time. And I remember I had a bottle of bourbon at the bakery and I I got some eggnog and I was drinking eggnog. It was probably two-thirds bourbon, one-third eggnog. And I was blasting Christmas music throughout the bakery as I was cleaning up and, you know, counting money and and taking care of the bread that didn't sell and just doing all of that stuff. And I, the reason I tell this story is because I went from like feeling as good as a human can feel when I was in the zone there having my two or three or probably four uh, whiskey and eggnogs at the bakery. And then I came home and you guys had come home from church and I, I was drunk, but I wasn't so drunk that I think it was obnoxious or obvious. And I, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't like pick a fight with you or slur my words too much. I was pretty conscious of the fact that, you know, I got to pull myself together. I'm in front of people now. And I had a couple more drinks at home, probably a couple more eggnogs, if I remember correctly. And then I was passed out in a chair by, I don't know what time, nine o'clock at night probably. And I don't even think I made it until the kids went to bed, which is really sad for me because they, you know, they were young and they write the note to Santa and they leave the cookies and the carrots. And then the kids went to bed and the, the, the Santa gifts that had to be tended to on Christmas Eve night, you and my dad took care of because mm-hmm. I was passed out in the chair. Now, because of the bakery and it being so busy leading up to Christmas, it was possible for everyone, you, my dad, for everyone to kind of make this excuse, oh, Matt's so tired. He got up at 3.30 in the morning and he did that for several days in a row. So we'll just let him sleep. He must be tired. Mm-hmm. When you knew the truth, I wasn't tired. I was passed out cold. Yeah. I mean, I think that your parents kind of knew the truth too. I think too, they did too. they saw like you mixing your drinks and they were pretty heavy and strong and, and even if they didn't know you had been drinking at the bakery, they probably thought he probably had a couple to drink before we got home from church service. Yeah. And we all just kind of made that excuse and brush it off. Yeah. So when we talk about the denials and the lies of alcoholism and we talk about the fact that it's a family disease, that that's all part of it. I'm not blaming anybody. Listen. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not. I mean, the fact that I was passed out in the chair made for a peaceful Christmas Eve night. It was probably for the best for everybody. Yeah. But I don't think, I think you're right. I think everyone kind of knew, yeah, Matt's tired. He's worked a long, hard week, but he's also drunk and passed out drunk. Mm-hmm. And we'll just turn the other cheek and go about our business. And I look back on that with such shame. I mean, the kids are only that young age once. 
and you want to do the Santa Claus duty no matter how tired you are and I let you down and I I you know I let my parents down as well and I let my kids down and it's just you know when you there are plenty of train wreck stories I could tell kind of rock bottom moment things that we could talk about and that's not one of them from an outward perspective but from an internal perspective yeah. that was a terrible christmas for me yeah. yeah well and i'm not trying to rub your face in it but that wasn't the only christmas that your father had to help me with the santa sure. gifts sure you know or you know it, it probably was <laughs> nice that you were just passed out because it didn't make because there was one night where we stayed up arguing most of the night on christmas eve yeah you know yeah um that was pretty rotten absolutely yeah so, Christmas and Thanksgiving or Hanukkah or whatever you celebrate, the pressure that surrounds it to make it perfect is in part what makes it impossible for it to even be decent. Yeah. The pressure to make it perfect makes it impossible to make it decent. And I think that's, that's true to some extent because that pressure exists whether alcohol is there or not. That, that statement is true to some extent in non-alcoholic families, but in alcoholic families or, or even families that are just drinkers that overdo it at the holidays. Yeah. There's just so I mean, many. There are so many times where we've seen people kind of be uncharacteristically intoxicated. Right. You know. That yeah, they're just, just succumbing to the pressure yeah, and overdoing it. And just celebrating too much, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then the expectations of you know, without communication of what you want out of Christmas to even, you know, in the beginning of your relationship or even before the holidays begin, what your, what your expectations are. So it just makes it so uncomfortable. I heard somebody say the other night that Christmas is such a magical time for kids. And that just actually adds to the pressure of the adults because they remember what it was like when they were kids. And so some of the adults anyway, often the mothers, more so than the fathers, go to such extra effort to make it special for their kids that that's just adding more pressure to them in an already uncomfortable situation. Mm-hmm. And so to make it a magical time for their children, they have to, in some ways, make it a dreadful time for themselves. And that's just such a sad, sad part of it. Yeah, and also, like, the parent who's the non-drinker is probably doing extra. Absolutely. To make they're doing up extra for, every day. And yeah, now doing and now extra, they're doing extra, extra, extra to, to make those memories last. Because what if daddy's drunk and passed out, you know, on Christmas Eve and doesn't get to see you put your letter out for Santa? So they're trying to make everything else good, like ten times more good. And so it kind of outweighs that memory. That kind of goes back to how we've talked about when I was drinking, we worked so hard to make sure that the house was in order and the lawn looked good. And you're just trying to keep up these appearances so that no one will notice the dysfunction. And so I think you're saying the same thing there. Only this time the show is for your kids. Internal show. You're trying to make it look so perfect that the kids don't notice dad passed out in the chair in the corner. Yeah. Yeah. No question about it. You know, I want to talk a little bit about early sobriety in the holidays. One of the most fascinating and 
terrifying and awful and frustrating things about sobriety that first year. When I talk about early sobriety, I'm talking about that whole first year. One of the hard parts is that the way our our minds work, the way our memory banks work, our subconscious, we have to replace existing memories with new memories in order to move past the temptations and the cravings of what we know from the past. So I quit drinking in January and I went along and had all these weekends, Fridays and Saturday nights, over and over again where I wasn't drinking. And by after several months, let's call it six months of that, it was no longer really a temptation for me on a standard Friday or Saturday night to drink. I had a new pattern which had replaced the old pattern in my memory bank. I, I don't drink on Friday and Saturday, so that's the norm now. So when we came around to the holidays for the first time, I was 10, 11 months sober. And I expected those patterns from Fridays and Saturdays to carry me through the Thursday of Thanksgiving. And I was shocked at how much I wanted to drink, how depressed I was that I wasn't drinking when everybody else was. You know, even the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade at 9 o'clock in the morning was a trigger to drink, and it came out of nowhere for me. I thought I have all this track record now of not drinking. What I didn't realize is when Thanksgiving morning rolled around, my brain went to the memory banks and said, okay, what do we do on Thanksgiving? It didn't say, what do we do on Friday and Saturday nights? It said, what do we do on Thanksgiving? And it recalled all these Thanksgivings in a row where I, you know, our our tradition was we had a neighborhood soccer game at, I think, 9 o'clock. And by 11 o'clock, we were done playing soccer. And I was drinking with the soccer buddies and then came home and drank while we grilled the turkey. Yes, we grill our turkey. And just all day, just an all-day bender. Mm -hmm. And so here, here I am 10 months sober thinking I got this licked. And these cravings are coming out of nowhere because the Snoopy, you know, balloon is going down Fifth Avenue in Manhattan. And I'm like, what on earth is going on? And that was my first real lesson in the fact that we have to replace the specific memories. It's not enough to be sober on on Friday and Saturday night over and over again. You haven't been sober on Thanksgiving yet. So buckle up, Buttercup, because that isn't going to be easy. And then the same thing happened for Christmas that first Christmas. And then the second year around, it was it was hard again and again. So now I've got a year and 10 months of sobriety, and it wasn't nearly as hard, but it was still hard. And it's not even just about cravings. It's about being depressed because you can't have what you used to identify, you used to identify yourself with. There's a lot of identity to being a drinker. There's a lot of seeing yourself as this work hard, play hard. I can, you know, drink my IPAs and be a be a man and or I can drink my Chardonnay and be a classy woman, whatever the case may be. We identify with these drinks and when we can't do it and we think everyone else in the world can, man, that's depressing. I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. And so what were those first couple of Christmases and Thanksgivings of my sobriety like for you? Was there, were you worried that I was going to drink? 
probably worried that you were, especially that first one, that you were going to give in because you had done nine months of sobriety, six months of sobriety. So I kind of felt like the pressure would just cave you. Sure. Um, I think, like, I remember it was a, it, it wasn't that long ago. And maybe it was the last Thanksgiving that you drank and you had packed a cooler with some beer in it to take down to the um, field where you were all going to play soccer. And I remember you like, like that was a terrible Thanksgiving because I don't, I wasn't even, I wasn't surprised you were taking beer down there or, or maybe and I went down and met you guys because some of the moms came down and watched and I came down a little bit later, but I don't remember, but you were like so like, you know, suspicious about me, like, looking at your beard and, like, what are you, are you, are you surprised or mad? Like, do you remember that? Like, no. you got real defensive. I'm not surprised that I, that Yeah, that you got happened. real defensive about it. And I was like, but I, I wasn't saying anything. And then all day it carried this, like, you had this in the back of your mind oh. that I was judging you about drinking, you know. And I, I to that point, I was, like, just resigned that this is just how it's going to be. Yeah. You know? So that first. Oh, I could get first, in a snitty mood about. Your yeah. attitude to uh, drinking, or, or yeah, like one time I that definitely same, could do that. yeah, one one time in that same incident, we had a uh, somebody given us a Bloody Mary mix, and so I brought down the Bloody Mary mix and some vodka, and then I had one, and you were like kind of making fun of me because I was having one, and I was like, "You're drinking, like, why can't I?" Um, but it was just kind of funny. It made me think. So I, I I remember that like when you guys went to play soccer, I was like, "Oh man, he's gonna have a hard time coming back from that and not." doing his normal thing where he was going to get the grill ready and start drinking beer. So I was very worried that Thanksgiving, that's for sure. Yeah. What a terrible position for you to be in, just worrying. How how bad is this day going to be? Is it going to be bad or is it going to be bad, bad? Or is it going to yeah. be terrible? Is it going to be... What, a, awful. Yeah. what an awful position for the loved one of the alcoholic to be in. Yeah. How how bad is this going to be on the bad-o-meter? Right, because we didn't have family in town. I didn't have anybody that I could feel like I could, like, commiserate with off to the corner or get support from or need to act a certain way and and be okay with it and not, like, blow up. I mean, because my mom has been out here for Thanksgiving. My mom, my sister, and Xenia drunk plenty of times for Thanksgiving. (coughs) So, um, excuse me. Um, and then that Christmas, I felt like I, uh, I didn't feel as worried, I think, because. This was the last Christmas I was drinking? The last Christmas after, the the first Christmas that you didn't drink. Oh. So you didn't drink at Thanksgiving. And then I felt like, you know, you made it through Halloween, you made it through Thanksgiving, because for you, Halloween was, you know, carry your coffee cup around it. You know, 7 o'clock at night when you're trick-or-treating with the kids. Coffee was, cup full of beer. Yeah, coffee cup full of beer. Right. So, I felt a little bit better, I guess, at thanks or at Christmas. Because we had things to do and your parents were here. But I still had that worry, like, that, you know, because your dad was going to have his drinks, that it was making it really hard for you because you were so set in your traditions. Yeah. But I felt like... Well, if he starts drinking, at least I'll have, you know, two other adults in the house to say, what are you doing? You you told us you weren't drinking, you know? Yeah. So, I felt like at least I would have had somebody else to 
And maybe they wouldn't have said anything. I don't know. Yeah. But but you know what? It, it wasn't pleasant. So even, you know, I think people think that, oh, you're sober. You're, you're making it through the holidays sober. Let's, let's be happy and joyous about that. There's nothing joyous about the first time you make it through Christmas. You as the loved one are stressed. You're tense. You don't know what it's going to be like. And frankly, I'm a bit of a bear. I'm not in a very good mood. I'm not feeling festive. I'm feeling bad about myself. Feeling sorry for myself because I'm the only one that can't drink. I'm feeling sorry for myself because I can't find joy and pleasure in things without the alcohol. Which is just a really... Again, this is another way that the holidays just exacerbate and make things worse. Because here you are in the, quote, most wonderful time of the year. So you want it to just be pleasant and pleasant memories. And you're just sad. And you feel pathetic. You don't want to be in your own skin. And, you know, we're here to say part of the message of this episode is that's okay. It sucks. It's not easy. It's not fun. But if you want to get to the fun and you want to get to the easy and you want to get to the good, you got to go through that. (laughs) And you can be 10 or 11 months sober when the holidays roll around, or you can be one month sober or three days sober. It doesn't matter. It's going to be hard. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for the people that are in your family that you're around, like usually by that point, you know, when you've had sobriety, like we're kind of at a stage where we're like, we don't care what you're suffering through. Just shut up. Yeah. And get through it and put a smile on your face. And screw you for all the bad memories that we have all had That's to experience right. because of that. So, That's right. So I, don't, I didn't even feel like at all a bit sorry for you if you didn't feel as good. Because, I, I mean, I think that you still did the decorating. You still helped with that. Because, like, we've made that such a part of our life. Because we both have those same feelings about the holiday and what we want out of them. That that was never a problem. But yeah, you may have not been exactly in the mood, but you still did it. And I knew you were going to do it. And, you know, I think that may have even been the year that you you started being in charge of addressing the Christmas cards and stuff. Because um, I always have a tendency to run just a little bit late <laughs> in mailing out the cards. So it kind of gave you something to focus on, you know on the weekdays, even though it wouldn't be normal days that you would drink, but you would still, like, kind of give you something to do. Yeah. And not just feel sorry for yourself and sad for yourself. Oh, I could feel sorry for myself while addressing envelopes, no well, problem. Well, at least you were being productively sad. Yeah. Because that's probably what would have made me better. Now, if you'd been sitting there watching TV feeling sad, I'd be like, uh, there's like a 10,000 things you could do right now. Yeah. So, you know. Well, I think you made a really good point, though. That people need to understand if if you're the drinker, the one that lives with you or the people that live with you, they don't have any compassion for how hard the holidays are for you. Like that's gone. That has been wrung clean out of them mm-hmm. after years of deceit and gaslighting and pain and miserable Christmases. The idea that you're going to go through this sober, I mean, good luck getting any empathy out of anyone. They're just... I mean, you, Sherry, were holding on by your fingernails and hoping that I didn't start drinking and hoping I didn't wreck another one. And you're just trying to 
it's really a survival mode thing. That's so sad when you compare it to, you know, It's a Wonderful Life or <laughs> White Christmas, the the endings of those movies. And, right. And Christmas, it isn't that. It's survival. It's it's. Well, and the holidays are very hard and emotional. And I think that most of us have had somebody that we love, a friend, a member of the family, whatever, that has, you know, it's not uncommon that there are instances where people relapse or they have, sure. like, you know, there's death that happens. I mean, my grandfather passed away the day after Thanksgiving. So it's always those times or you just are missing the people that have passed on or the people that you're not in relationship with. So there's already this sort of sadness there. So then to try to be empathetic for someone who's been a total asshole to you for like the last whatever years... And then on top of that made all the holidays even worse. Those just always seem to be like almost trauma triggers because you're working so hard to make things good for other people. And they're just, you feel like they're just working against you yeah, the whole time. So I think it's just hard from both sides that, that there's, you're right. There's not going to be any empathy. Yeah, We're done. We are done being, you know, empathetic and caring at that point. At least I know I was. Well, one thing that we are learning as we work with more and more people that seems to be semi-universal when it comes to the holiday season is that the loved one of the alcoholic just wants it to be peaceful. And smooth. And smooth. And just wants to, you know, enjoying the holidays doesn't mean going to every neighborhood party you get invited to and lots of late nights and you know, pushing the envelope for the, the number of presents you can buy and wrap and the car, number of cards you can get out and the number of cookies you can bake to distribute through the neighborhood. That's the kind of thing you do when you're in an, al- an active alcoholic relationship to put on the facade of there's nothing to see here, everything's fine, look the other way. Mm-hmm. When you're in that early sobriety, what the loved ones want that we hear more and more is they just want it to be peaceful and relaxing and soothing and I think that's hard for us, for me, for alcoholics to realize because we feel like it was always go, 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 go when we were drinking. And now in lack of drinking, we just feel like hermits. We feel disgusting. We feel like we're letting our family down. We feel like by sulking on the couch or sulking, leaned over the address book and addressing <laughs> Christmas cards, we're not fun. We're not exciting there's nothing going on. We're, we're blowing Christmas. And I think it's really important for us to understand and for, for just people out there to understand, especially those first couple of years, man, knock as many things off the list of things you've got to do as possible. Yeah. And just, I'm not even going to say enjoy each other because I think that's hard to do early on in sobriety to enjoy your loved ones. Just coexist Take lots of deep breaths. I don't know. Take some baths. Eat more cookies than you probably should. And, yeah. And just let it let it kind of be. Do you feel like that would have been helpful to you to have that attitude on my first couple of sober Christmases? Well, I feel like you and I conversed about how we were going to... How uh, you said, I, I can't do anything. I can't have a trigger. Because you had been through it several times. 
relapsing. Yeah. Where you tried to pretend like your life was normal and you were just going to be there not drinking. I do all the normal things just without a beer in my hand. So there was one, you know, there were, we would get invited to a few parties, at least maybe two on the minimum of the year. So, um, holiday parties. Yeah. Holiday parties, I should say. So, so that first year I already kind of knew that we were not going to do any of that stuff. And then it was really convenient that we have neighbors that put on a holiday party every other year. So that was the year that they didn't have one. So that was good. Um, and so I, I kind of knew that you were like, you know, we're not going to do anything extra. And we had already kind of, I feel like I had already kind of dreaded doing anything extra. Uh-huh. Um, like we just went to like the friend group from our church that usually somebody hosted a big something holiday right. party. We went to that because we saw these people all the time. We went to the neighborhood one because we saw them all the time. But if it was any other friends that were inviting us, I didn't really tell you a lot of times we'd be invited because most of the time I got the Evite or, you know, I just wouldn't let it be known towards the end of your drinking career because I was like, I just can't do any of this. I can't have more fights. I can't have more episodes where I see my husband over drink and act like a fool and drink more than everybody else. So that first year, I really didn't mind at all that we weren't doing anything. So the first sober Christmas, we did lay low, you're saying. Yeah. And I agree. But here's the difference between that and what I'm suggesting to people that are in our shoes, in the shoes that we used to be in, that this is perhaps their first holiday mm-hmm. sober. We just turned down invitations and I stayed home and licked my wounds and sulked. I'm saying... Can you celebrate the idea of it's just going to be a peaceful us Christmas? Not not that we're holding ourselves back from what we would really want to do and that we're declining these invitations for these fabulous events that we really wish we could go to. But can you just put a positive spin on it and say, this transition is exactly what we need. We need peaceful contentedness, mm-hmm. not even with each other, just with with getting out of the the yuletide rat race. Yeah. Well, yes, I think that that would be good advice, but I also feel like we definitely um we together made a little bit more of a intentional you know, it would be nice if we weren't a little bit more on the same page like we had intended. Like if we were, you know, not a couple that communicated during your first few months of sobriety and we kind of had that didn't have that plan of we're not going to do a bunch of stuff and I'm not going to go and be entertained you know go to entertaining things and we're just not going to go to parties I definitely think like saying we need to just relax and chill out and really focus on the healing and taking care of ourselves and being quietly content just within our own family that would have been great advice. Yeah. Yeah, it would have put it, it would have been the same activities. We yeah. still would have been turning things down and not attending things, but maybe it would have been just a slightly better spin on it rather than 
sulking, depri- depriving ourselves. Because I did feel kind of like it was that a little bit. Because yeah. you were like, well, I'm just not going to do anything. I yeah. mean, if we were invited to something, I'm not going. Oh, and I hated myself for it. And yeah. I felt so and it made, and, and I think that made you feel even worse absolutely. in a way, right? You're no like, question. oh, I can't, I can't be, you know, you knew you couldn't go to events where there were people drinking and you were just not drinking at that point. And then you're like, oh, I'm going to turn down of going to things because I can't drink because I'm, you know feeling miserable about who I am and what my choice is and yeah. instead of celebrating the sobriety that, you know, because you didn't have that sort of relief of letting everybody know what you were doing. You were still making excuses that first year when you would see people of, um, you know, about not drinking. I and, still wanted to be a drinker. Yeah. I, like, I still felt like I was, you know, cutting off my left arm would be easier. I yeah. felt like I was depriving myself as opposed to now I look at it, you know, sobriety is a, a huge blessing and I'm so glad that I don't poison myself anymore. Yeah. So let's, let's address the fact that this is the first ever COVID Christmas. I think for a lot of people, this whole idea of turning things down and staying home, even though you don't want to, and not going to this party or that party. Now it's a it's a government, you know, created uh, requirement. Yeah, like Thanksgiving's supposed to be more chill. And I heard like there was a school in a college in Boston, or I think a, a lot of colleges that were in Boston said, you know, if if you as a college student go home for Thanksgiving, and we're planning on coming back. To finish the to semester. To finish the semester, don't. Yeah. Just do it virtual. So, you know, and a lot of colleges prepped for just sending their students home and being home until, after, you know, until the next quarter or semester. So, yeah, it definitely is. It's definitely different. And I think that it's adding a level of anxiety for people that maybe are in sobriety or, you know, and they're living with someone in early sobriety or... No. Well, that's exactly, <laughs> no sobriety at all. I mean, it's just extra anxiousness. That's exactly what I want to, the point I want to make. It's adding anxiety, but can can we shift that? Can you spin that and say, listen, I don't have to turn Woo! down these invitations. That was me wiping the sweat off of my brow yeah. sound like, hallelujah, I don't have to do this. And I don't Be- have to lie and I don't have to feel bad about myself. That's right. Being a hermit is what we're supposed to do. And so... There's really a blessing to be coming through this holiday if it's your first one sober. Even if if you're listening to this podcast and you're not sober yet, there's still time to to get some holiday sobriety in. Yeah. And it's it's really going to be easy or kind of there's lots there's of no parties. Yeah, there's lots of silver linings to COVID. I mean, COVID's awful. It's terrible. I feel terrible about all the people that have been sick and that have died and the economic impact is devastating. I'm not trying to say COVID's a good thing, but there are silver linings, undeniable silver linings, and this is one of them. If you're considering sobriety or you're you're there and you're just trying to maintain sobriety, man, celebrate. And when I say celebrate, I don't mean party. Yeah. I mean be glad that be grateful that be you're grateful that sitting on the couch and staring at the damn dead evergreen in your corner mm-hmm. of your living room is kind of government mandated. Yeah, the thing to do. Do that. Do that thing, and don't sulk and about it. Embrace about the fact it. that you're being told what to do by your government, or being asked. Like, don't look at it like oh, I don't have my freedom. Look at it like I'm getting my freedom because I 
don't have to hide. Yeah. These people that live in this house with me know what I'm going through. And then you can use that to, like, create just small, simple, like, traditions. Yep. I know that a lot of people that have alcohol in their life and it's been an issue, they have a lot of of really bad things that have happened when they were younger and growing up. And so they may not have good family memories or even know how to celebrate in a fun way without alcohol. Yeah. So, you know, just start some stuff on your own and it has to, you could just be small, you know? Yeah. Get a, you know, board game that you all can not fight over. If you don't have our boys in your house, then you are fine. You will not be fighting over every board game. I think other boys game. fight too, Sherry. Really? I don't think I don't think As ours much? are the only ones. Yeah. And are you? I really think so. I don't know. You know, so that's that's what I want to end on today is this is our fourth consecutive sober Christmas and and sober Thanksgiving. And I'm really looking forward to these. I'm looking forward to the holidays. I know we have to stay home. I know it's sad that my parents aren't going to visit this Christmas as they have for decades now. But, and so that part's unfortunate for sure. But I'm just really looking forward to just being home with the family and listening to Christmas music and decorating the tree. And, you know, there's so much less pressure when there's no drinking I feel like, I just feel like there's no pressure to make it Norman Rockwell-esque. I know it's not going to be Norman Rockwell-esque. Mm-hmm. I know that the cat's going to drink water from the Christmas tree and probably going to puke on the carpet. You know, mm-hmm. I know that, I know that I'm going to mismeasure the Christmas tree when we <laughs> chop it down in the woods. Intentionally. And it, it's mis- not going to fit properly in the living room. You intentionally do that. Just so you can see the streaks on the ceiling. I know that, you know, someone's going to get the sniffles and we're going to have to deal with that during the holidays. And and after we get all the lights put up all around the house, one of the bulbs is going to go out and we're going to have to spend hours figuring that out. <laughs> I mean, I know it's not going to be, it's not going to be perfect. It's, it's not going to be, it's a wonderful life. Yeah. But I don't care. I like I look forward to that. And that's what's different for me in permanent sobriety versus when you're trying to keep up appearances during active alcoholism. And it's definitely different than early sobriety. So if you are in early sobriety, either as the loved one of the alcoholic or as the alcoholic yourself, you know, suck it up, buttercup. You're going to have to to just kind of get through and try to make it peaceful as opposed to wonderful. Uh, but wonderful comes. Are you looking forward to Christmas this year? I am. I am looking forward. I'm looking forward to Thanksgiving. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, part of it is that we have our first student who's a college student that will be coming home. So that'll be... Pretty fired um, up about that. Yeah. And I was thinking, wow, you know, with it being a kind of stay at home order and we know that she's traveling by airplane so we're gonna stay hunkered down that first weekend I know first five or six days to make sure that nobody comes up with symptoms I have bought all of the children full-size gingerbread houses to make and decorate normally I get the little small ones and we do that because in hurried fashion and trying to squeeze that all in as they become teenagers and older we never all got they never got to do it all at the same time or they didn't want big ones because they were running out of time so everybody's got their own full-size house 
And that's a tradition we do on the Friday after Thanksgiving. So sounds that'll like, be... Sounds like but I'm not going gonna... to be over-controlling. Sounds like we're going to make this a magical, special, wonderful Christmas. Not for the kids, but for Mama. Yeah. Sounds like you've got <laughs> lots of things lined up. Yeah. And you don't have well, to have this, fun stuff the that's... stress of wondering in which, which of many ways I'm going to wreck it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's very true, too. That's got to be a good feeling. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. But I'm looking forward to the holidays and... Well, Intoxicated Podcast listeners, no matter where you are in this whole huge, long, arduous process, know that it does get better if you stay the course. And whatever, what, wherever you are, you know, I, I hope you have the best possible next couple of months till the the start of the new year and um, we, we've walked in those shoes and we know what it's like and you know it might not be perfect and it might not be easy but it, there is a purpose for it and you are going toward something better just keep going that's the only thing you can do for my wife Sherry Salis I'm Matt Salis and we thank you for listening to the Untoxicated Podcast <laughs>